Hey, I want to welcome those of you that are over in uh, the venue. Glad you're here. Thank you, uh, Pastor Joel, for shepherding that group over there and for Jared leading worship. And for those of you that are watching us online, we're, we're glad you're um, with us. Maybe you're listening on the radio. Uh, I'm just really thrilled that you would uh, take some time and hang out with us. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Genesis um, chapter 2. Everybody turn to Genesis chapter 2, all right? Now, here's the deal. Uh, before I get into this, I, I want to let you know what's going to happen here next week, Lord, Lord willing. Um, we have a guy by the name of uh, Eric Samuel Tim who is going to be here, and uh, he's just really a very unique person. And God has just given him some incredible gifts and skills and talents, and he's way different than I am. And next week, he's going to continue on in our series with uh, getting a grip on your time. And uh, he wrote a great book, and it's really going to be a special weekend. Uh, you want to make sure you're here and bring somebody that, that, that you care about. That's next weekend uh, right here at Big Valley Grace. Okay, well, we are in this series here called Get a Grip where we're looking at a number of things that we all need to have a, a, a grip on. And so far, we've looked at stress. We all need to have a, a, a grip on, on stress. Last week, we looked at our jobs, how we can get a, a grip on our, our careers, our jobs. Today, we're going to talk about marriage, getting a grip on our marriages. God said this to the, the great prophet Jeremiah. He said, for I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster. They're plans that will give you a future and a hope. And one of the things that I love about Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 8 is that it's just, it's just beautiful. You really get to uh, sense the heart of the God that we were just singing to. He's a God that not only loves you deeply and cares about you deeply, but he has a plan for your life. And not just any plan, but he has a, a good plan for your life. And part of that good plan for your life includes your marriage, right? I mean, God wouldn't say, well, I got this great plan for your life, but it, it doesn't include your marriage. No, obviously that good plan includes your marriage. Now, I realize that uh, some of you are, are here and, and you'll never get married, so obviously marriage isn't a part of God's good plan for you, but he still has a good plan for your life. I just know that most of us are married or will be married. And so I know that part of his good plan for us includes our marriages. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, he said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. One of the, the reasons Jesus came to planet Earth was to give you a rich and satisfying life. And part of that rich and satisfying life down here this side of glory is your, is your marriage or the fruit of your marriage. But here's the sad, sad thing. Too many Christians never experience God good plan for their lives. Too many believers never experience that rich and satisfying life because they don't have a, a grip on their, on their marriages. So today we're going we're, we're gonna to take a look at that. Now, now here's the deal. I realize that there are all kinds of people out here and all kinds of needs represented here today and over in the vineyard or whatever. Some of you are, are newlyweds. 
Last night I got to pray with a couple. They'd been married for a couple of weeks. Two weeks. Remember that? Woo! Man, two weeks. They're living on love. They're living on love. <laughs> Some of you have been married 40, 50, 60 you know, years. Some of you are, are single. Some of you are, are divorced. Some of you have been divorced multiple times. And the point of this message isn't to poke you in the eye or make you feel bad or guilty or anything like that. The point of this message is, is that maybe this one, the marriage you're in now, or maybe the marriage you'll be in in the future, would, would, you'd really have a, a grip on it. But I know that there are lots of you here and you've been through a divorce or two. Some of you are separated right now. Some of you are engaged. Some of you are, are single, but you'd really love to be married. You're waiting for... You know, the right guy, the right gal to, to come along. Some of you have good marriages. Some of you have marriages that are under some stress right now. Some of you have uh, marriages, as one gal was telling me last night, their, their marriage is dead. And um, the good news is I know a God who's pretty good at, at, at resurrecting things. And there's always hope for those of us that, that, that know the Lord. Anyway, I know there's all kinds of needs represented here today, but wherever you're at, I guarantee you that God has a word for you today. I guarantee all of you will hear from the Lord today. So let's read our text today, okay? Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 15. And by the way, these are the defining words as it relates to marriage. There are no other words ever written that are more important than these words as it relates to, to marriage, especially in our culture today. Seems like uh, in America today, a marriage is kind of a joke. We make fun of it. It's not sacred anymore. It's not holy anymore. Every marriage series that I've ever done usually includes one message where we look at these words right here because they're weighty. I couldn't count how many marriages that I've done over the years, and this is the very text that I've used in the, in the ceremony. God's word says this in verse 15. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Amen. It's not good. It's not good. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Got a, got a good plan here. I'm going to put together. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man, Adam, to see what he would call them. And the man, Adam, chose a name for each one of them. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but there was still no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of his ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought it, brought her to the man. At last, at last, a modern day translation might be, far out. <laughs> Probably not. 
This one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. And then you get to verse 24. These are um, just really weighty. These next 23 words are just unbelievably weighty. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked, and they felt no shame. Beloved, when Adam was put in the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect environment. It was absolutely perfect. There was no such thing as sin. Sin had not entered into the world yet. Adam had everything he wanted. He had a place to live. He had a purpose for living. He had God's protection on his life. He had everything he needed. Yet the Bible says that God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. There's no sin. Everything is perfect. And yet God looks down and says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. What's God saying here? Is he saying that it's sinful to to be single? (laughs) Of course not. So what's God saying here? Well, I think he's saying a lot of things, but but let me give you what I believe is the big thing. The, the, The big thing is exactly what God said. He doesn't want anybody to be alone. He doesn't want anybody to be lonely. So God made Adam a wife, a partner, a companion, someone that he could spend the rest of his life with. You see, one of the great purposes of marriage is to fulfill your need for relationship, which obviously prevents loneliness. And for those of you that are here that will never marry, God still doesn't want you to be alone. He wants you to be in relationship with others. Relationship is an important thing, but obviously marriage is what prevents loneliness. When you and your spouse have become one with one another. Now, I think it's really interesting the process that God took Adam through. First, God creates, you know, all these animals, and then he brings them to Adam, and Adam uh, names them. Porcupine. There we go, yeah, okay, all right. I don't know, platypus, okay. Zebra. Elephant. Uh, eagle, 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 finch, dog, cat. Imagine this whole process taking place. You see, you can read this story in, I don't know, 10 seconds and just miss the whole, whole thing. So here's this whole thing, you know, here's a couple of porcupines, and, and he's naming all these animals, and, and I think what God was doing was, was, was God was letting him in on something. There's all these animals. There's two of these, and there's two of these, and there's two of those, and look at those birds all. What about me? There's there's nobody for me. I'm not like the the beetles. I'm not like the the trout that was just swimming by. There's two or three or ten of everything, but not me. I think God was helping Adam realize something very important. 
And that is that there's two of everything except me. He was realizing that there's something missing in my life, companionship or relationship. That's why in verse 23, as soon as Adam sees Eve, oh, at last, I've seen all the pork, I've seen all these animals, I've named them, at last, there's one that's like me. Look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought it to the man. I mean, imagine you're Adam in the Garden of Eden and you've never, you've never seen a woman before. Never. And then, you know, there comes this moment, I don't know, she comes walking out of the ferns. <laughs> that ain't no porcupine. <laughs> I mean, there's no sin, so she's, there's no Mars on her body. There she is, perfect, naked. <laughs> wow. Adam literally could have said, you know, you're the only girl in the world for me. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that all week. I, I, That was stupid. I mean, think about it. I mean, this had to be an incredible day, right, for Adam? Don't read Genesis 2, this little passage here, and, and just rush by this. It is really beautiful. Imagine the emotion that was going on. Imagine all that was happening. Which, by the way, every marriage basically begins this way. Every marriage, every time we do a wedding in this room, it's a Genesis 2, 15 moment. The guy's standing up here in his monkey suit. And all of a sudden, there, there comes this moment when, when the gal turns the corner. And, and she doesn't look like everybody else. Her, her dress is different, you know. You know, listen, listen, I want to be straight up with you. All the bridesmaids' dresses are always ugly. I don't care what you ladies think. They're all ugly. 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 Every wedding, uh, mine are different. My bridesmaids' dresses are great. No, no, they're all ugly. And the bride wants it that way. Because no one's going to trump her. So she makes sure, oh, these are nice. Look at this. That looks good on you. And then, but all of a sudden, boom, she turns the corner. And basically what the guy does is, at last. Here it is. I, I have been, I've done so many weddings where the guy literally begins to cry. It's a beautiful moment. It's uh, the Garden of Eden moment. And all of a sudden, the gal makes her way down. The guy literally could say the same thing Adam said, at last. Here's the one for me. I, I've seen everybody else, my friends, my brothers, they all have their mates. Here, here's mine. This one's for me. 
It's an incredible moment. I, I remember the moment I saw Aaron come down the, the aisle, uh, the little aisle. We were at a small church up in a little chapel at Westmont College down south in um, Santa Barbara. It can only hold 60 people, so we can only invite 30 couples. And they wouldn't let any more than 30 couples in this place. John Byron did our music, so we invited Francie. And he, he, he couldn't even get inside, so he stuck his head through a window. <laughs> And he was, I'm not, I'm not kidding you, and he's playing the guitar. <laughs> Francie's waiting outside on the other side of the window. It was a really small little place, and so he's doing all the music like, like that. And I remember, wow. It was, it was like I was Adam. At last. There's the, there's the one for me. And here she comes. But something happens. Something goes haywire usually. The at last begins to fade. There's always some sort of turnabout, or there typically is. And why is that? Well, verse 24 gives us some really important information, okay? It's what a lot of people call the blueprint for marriage, if you will. It's one of the key passages that relates to marriage. Verse 24 says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Beloved, I want you to understand something. Marriage was God's idea. Okay, He thought it up. He designed it. And what you just read was God's design. He's the one who thought it all up. In fact, these words are so important. There's 23 words there. They're so important that they're they're quoted at least five times in the New Testament, three times by Jesus and two by the great apostle Paul. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came to try to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And then Jesus looks at these guys and says, well, haven't you read what the scriptures say? What scriptures are he, are he, you know, is he talking about? He's talking about what we just read in Genesis chapter 2. He's, he's saying to these Pharisees, these religious leaders who would have had a copy of the Old Testament, what does the scripture say? What did God already say? He is confirming the importance of this text. He goes on and he says this. They record that from the beginning God made them male and he made them female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart where God is joined together. Listen, there's a bad rumor out there, a nasty rumor out there, a, 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 a rumor from the pit of hell that says that Jesus never weighed in on the topic of marriage. And he did. Somebody who comes to you and says, well, Jesus never said anything about marriage. He never defined what marriage is. They're wrong. I just read to you a place where Jesus weighs in on it. He says, this is what marriage is. It's exactly what the Father said in Genesis chapter 2. God made them male, female. He brings them together. Now, when you look at 
verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2, the first thing you notice is that God says that when you get married, when you say, I do, there are some things that you have to let go of, you have to give up, and there are some things that you need to hold on to if you want to have a, a marriage that really works. Now, before I get into these, these things, I, I have a rule that I want everybody to obey, okay? You're not allowed, as I go through these, to elbow your spouse. They go, hey, 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 you need to work on that one. Because while you're elbowing your spouse, telling them that they need to work on something, you're going to miss the thing that you need to work on. Well, he obviously doesn't know who I am. I, I have nothing to work on. Yeah, yeah you do, trust me. Um, just allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever the Holy Spirit's going to do. You don't have to rib your spouse. Just allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever work the Holy Spirit needs to do, okay? So here we go. Uh, the first thing you have to let go of is this, and some of you aren't going to like this. There's going to be some mommies and daddies that aren't going to like what I'm going to say next. You've got to let go of your grip on your parents. This is what God's Word says. I, you can like me. Your problem's not with me. Your problem's going to be with God and His Word. The Bible says this explains why a man leaves. He leaves his father and his mother. He leaves his father and his mother. And this is also true for you also, ladies. When you looked your spouse in the eye and said, I do, when you entered into that covenantal relationship with your spouse, obviously that means you have to let go of your parents, right? I mean, that makes sense. You, you looked your spouse in the eye and you said, I do. We're now going to have this, this, this relationship together like, that's like no other relationship. We're going to become one together. Obviously, that means you have to let go of your, your parents. And God's not talking about geography here, you know, moving out of the house. He's talking about leaving psychologically. In other words, you have to break your dependence on your parents. When you were born and you came out of your mother's womb, they cut the umbilical cord. You could not have lived if they did not cut the umbilical cord. And the same thing is true at that moment that you say, I do. You have to cut the psychological umbilical cord, if you will. Because if you don't, I want you to know, you're never going to have the marriage that God wants you to have. In fact, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. And the reason why I know it's hard is because some of you haven't been able to do it. Some of you, it's why your first marriage ended. It was so hard. For some of you, it's why the second marriage ended. The umbilical cord to your parents was still attached. And God's word says, no, here's how this works. When you say, I do, when you enter into that relationship, you've got to cut the umbilical cord. Now, I'm not saying that you can't talk to your parents or love your parents or go on vacations with your parents. Please don't misunderstand. I, I love my parents, my in-laws. My wife talks to her mom all the time. We've gone on vacations with her parents. It, there's nothing wrong with that. Because my wife isn't psychologically attached to her mommy. 
There's, there's a difference. I, I know families where, uh, uh, farming families where you know, mom and dad have a home and, and the kids have a home on the same piece of property and the psychological umbilical cord has been cut. But I also know couples where one lives in California, one lives in New York, there's 3,000 miles between them and the psychological umbilical cord's never been cut. It's not about geography. Look, I I see this problem all the time when I I talk with young couples that are in marriage counseling or sometimes older couples. I hear about spouses who never make a decision without first calling up mommy and daddy. They never make a decision. There's nothing wrong with gathering some wisdom here and there. I hear about spouses that anytime there's a problem in their marriage, you know, they call their mommy up. And let me just tell you something. You have a problem in your marriage, and let me just talk to the ladies, but works both ways. And there, there's some trouble going down in your marriage, like every marriage has at times. You never call up your mother and talk about how crummy your husband is. You don't ever do that. That, 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 is, that is so sinful. It's, it, it's nauseating to me to think that you would call up your parents and talk about your husband. You see, here's the deal. It's easy for you and your husband to forgive one another and kiss and make up. But what happens is your mother and your father aren't that forgiving. And every time you get together for a family barbecue or whatever it is, man, how dare you treat my daughter that way? And it goes both ways. Look, you've got trouble in your marriage. You call up a, 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 a godly elder couple, pastor, go see a professional. That's who you want to talk to. Nothing wrong with calling your mom and dad and saying, listen, we're having some trouble. Pray for us. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But don't you call up your parents and begin to you know, talk trash about your spouse. And moms and dads, if your kid calls you up and starts to do that, you need to put an end to it. No, no, no. Don't you talk to me about that kind of stuff. Your father and I, your mother and I will be praying for you, but here's what you need to do. Why don't you call the church? Why don't you get a hold of some other couple, see a counselor or whatever. But, but you know what? That's our son-in-law. That's our daughter-in-law. And we don't need to hear all the, the, the crummy stuff. We'll be praying. Yeah, does that make sense? I've seen it. I've just seen it ruin a lot of marriages when, when you don't adhere to that. It's always fun to walk into your in-law's house and they think you're a goofball. And maybe you were for a moment. Here's the point. Your, your partner shouldn't have to compete with your parents. Right? Because when that happens, it puts all kinds of pressure on a marriage. Men, it makes your wife feel really insecure when you call your daddy or your mommy up. And ladies, it makes your husband feel inadequate. Don't do that. Don't do that. Listen, when your obligation to your extended family takes priority over your own marriage, you're in trouble. So you need to get a grip on this. I've known couples who have been married for years, some, some cases decades, and, and uh, they have children of their, of their own, and yet they've never built any of their own family traditions because they're always doing what their parents want, want them to do.
So the first thing that you have to let go of once you say I do is you gotta let go of uh, the dependency that you have on your parents. And that doesn't mean you don't love them or care for them or hang out with them or whatever, you do all that. Number, number two, and this, is, this one will make sense, you gotta let go of your grip on other people. Obviously, if God wants you to let go of your, the grip that you have on your parents, he's gonna want you to let go of other people also, right? It could be a brother that you're close to or a sister, a sibling. It might be some buddy of yours, some other relationship, a friend. It could be a, a former boyfriend or a former girlfriend, right? If God wants you to leave your parents, then he probably wants you to leave some other relationships also. And it's not to say you can't hang out with your brother or your sister. Have a relationship with them. Go fishing with them. Go you know, shopping with them. Do life with them. I'm not talking about that. You know what I'm talking about. It's when you're just so attached, you can't do anything without calling them up. You've got this new relationship that has started, and that's where all your focus is to be. Something new has happened. And, and number three, you've got to let go of your, your grip on your past problems. And those of you that are dating right now, maybe you're thinking about marriage, you just listen up very, very carefully here, okay? See, every marriage has enough problems on its own without having to deal with all the crud from your past that hasn't been dealt with. Let me give you a few thoughts. If you're, I don't know, I'm going to pick on the guys here for a second. Ladies, if you're sitting down and you're dating somebody and you're trying to figure out, is this the right person for me? Is this a match for me? You're trying to make a wise choice. Uh, imagine you're the CEO of a business. You own a business, and you are the CEO of your own life, right? And let's say you have an, a job opening, and you need a, somebody who's really good at computers. And so as the boss, you, you get some resumes in, and you sit down, and you say, okay, let me see here. You're a great salesman. Okay, you got your degree. Okay, that's really great. Oh, but you don't know anything about computers. <laughs> he, he can be a fantastic person. He can be a Christian. He could be just a delightful person, but what you're looking for is somebody who has computer skills. And he doesn't have those computer skills. So you say, oh, listen, thank you very much. Uh, we're done. Because you're looking for something specific. Make sense? Well, guess what? You're, like I said, you're the CEO of your lives. You're, you're the boss of your life. You, you, you got to kind of know what you're looking for. If you want to be um, a stay-at-home mom and you'd like to have dinner around the table every night with your husband, then don't, you, you know, when you're dating, you find out the guy's going into medical school, check them off the list. They're not going to be home every night for dinner. They've got medical school and residency. They're going to be on call all the time. Nothing wrong with being a doctor. A lot of gals want to marry a doctor. They don't care whether their husband or their wife is home every night. But if that's high on your list, then say, man, you're a fantastic person. And man, this is great to get to know you. You're my sister, my brother, and the Lord. But you know what? I, I, I want somebody in my life who's going to be home every night. And, and obviously, that's not you. That's not the the, the field that you've chosen, you see. Are you listening? If, if you want to 
be a stay-at-home mom and live around your family and you meet some guy who's a great Christian guy and they go, hey, listen, man, I want to spend my life in Zimbabwe as a missionary. Hey, that's fantastic. But you know what? I don't want to go to Zimbabwe. But what tends to happen is, you know what? I'll marry the guy and I'll get that Zimbabwe out of him. I'll change him. Well, that works. Nothing wrong with saying, man, you're a fantastic guy. You're a fantastic gal. And I'll be praying for you. And I hope you do well in Zimbabwe someday, but I don't want to go to Zimbabwe. It's not a match. I'm looking for a computer expert. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you what happens while you're looking for the computer expert. You're trying to find the right soul. Let me tell you what messes things up. You have sex with them. Now all of a sudden, all objectivity goes out the window. And you need a computer person. They have no computer skills at all, but you, you hire them anyway. Because now, ladies, you're emotionally invested in it in a way you're not supposed to be. So you end up marrying somebody or being with somebody who maybe they're a great person, but they're really not the soul you're supposed to be with. But you couldn't see it. Because you let something else get in the way. And it's different for men. We're wired differently than you are, ladies. If you sit down with somebody, and let me give you a few thoughts here. S somebody who hasn't let go of past grudges. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you very much for this coffee. This was a great, you know, dinner I had tonight. But we won't be dating anymore because you've got to let go of those past grudges. There are a few things that will destroy a marriage quicker than resentment. Because when you're all goofed up with resentment towards somebody else, you burn a lot of juice, energy, emotion on that person that could have been burnt towards your marriage, that could have been spent towards your marriage. So when you have somebody, uh, you know, 20 years ago, this person, my father did this to me or my mother did this to me, and they just are holding on to grudges, <laughs> it'll ruin a marriage. Because the person you tend to get all angry at is who? Your spouse. And your spouse will take it for a while, but then there comes a moment where they go, I've had it. I'm done. You gotta, you gotta let go of those things. You gotta let go of uh, grief that's in your, your past. Look, everybody experiences sorrow and loss. We all do. It's normal and natural to have times of sorrow, even times of great sorrow. What's unnatural is when mourning turns into moaning and self-pity. You, you, gotta, you gotta let go of that. And you gotta let go of, of, of guilt, past guilt. A ton of marriages die because of secret guilt. My spouse ever found out about that thing. Oh, man. I can't let my spouse find out about that. So you begin to build walls up. Because I'm going to make sure my spouse doesn't see that. And then the walls get big and thick. And now the next thing you know, you're hiding things you don't even know. You're, it just ruins marriages. you got to let go of your parents. you got to let go of some of your relationships. And there are 
some, some, some things about grief, past grief or, or guilt, grudges that you have to let go of. And if you don't let go of any of those, wow, it's just going to cause all kinds of trouble in your, your marriage. So this is the, the letting go part, okay? You gotta let go of your parents, you got people and problems. Now I wanna quickly talk about the things you gotta hang on to. This explains, verse 24 says, why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined, that word joined there means they're, 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 they're um, some of your Bibles say they cleave, and, and I'll give you a little illustration, I've used it before. Here, here you are ladies, and here you are guys. And, um, you know, a guy stands right down here on his wedding day, and he's just, he's just this. And then, ladies, here you come. Oh, at last. At last. And then they're, they, I do. Uh, I do. Okay. You can kiss. And that word joined in your Bible, cleaved in your Bible, means to be glued together. You're, you're super glued together. You've now come together. Something unbelievable takes place at that moment when you say, I do. The cleaving, you're, you're now no longer one piece. You're, you're glued together. You've made a commitment to one another. You're now this. And when you're glued together, you're not supposed to ever come apart. That's God's plan. And so when somebody goes through a divorce, it's ugly. supposed to be you see when you came together and you said I I, I do you, you entered into this this relationship and that you're, you're you're trying to you're trying to undo something that God never wanted to be undone and so there's there's pain and sorrow maybe it's pain in your own life but it's certainly pain in your children's lives it's pain in your friends lives I know it grieves the heart of God it's not supposed to be clean and so, this is what you get. Now, what, what, what tends to happen is, is this. Um, it's Friday night, and what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to go out to the bar. And this is what you see. You, you, you don't see this side. You never see all the pain and the sorrow and the heartache. You always, you always make sure you got yourself cleaned up just enough so they see this. Or if you're, if you're the guy, I, can't, I don't want you to see any of that. <laughs> hey, how are you? Good to see you. Hey, everything's good. Everything's great. And this, this is what's there. But, but they're making sure you only see that. I got that. I'll let you see that. Look, I've never met anybody Oh, yeah, I have. I've, let some, I've met some people that have lied and said, oh, my divorce is no big deal. And then, then I talked to their children. 
I was a youth pastor here for 20 years. Never met one child, one kid who went through a divorce where they said, oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> Loved every minute of it. I can hardly wait to go through a divorce myself. Doesn't happen that way. It's painful. And the Bible says that when the two of you came together, it was supposed to be for a lifetime. That's what it was supposed to be. Now listen, I'm not, I, I, I'm not, my point isn't to hurt anybody's feelings. I know some of you have done that three or four times. That's not my point here. I can't do anything about your past. It's over with. I don't want to talk about your past. I want to talk about today forward. That if you're married now, I want you to understand what the Bible says and get a grip on it now. Or if you're going to get married in the future, I want you to understand some things because here, here's the deal. This is okay. Yeah, yeah, whoa. I remember those days. But then there was a moment where I said, I do. And we came together and we were glued together. I remember once when I was a kid, a super glue had just kind of come out. And my friends, you know, we were like, I don't know, like seven or eight. And we were in uh, uh, my friend Jeff's garage and we had the super glue. <laughs> and so we put super glue all over our own hands and we stuck our hands together. <laughs> and the next thing you know, it was like, uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> we were stuck in the permanent prayer position. <laughs> And it was like, we couldn't go tell our parents. We knew they'd be mad. So it was like, uh, uh, uh. And the next thing you know, we're ripping our hands apart and hung to skin were coming off. I do. I do. You can kiss your bride. You're together. You're super glued together. God doesn't intend for you to ever come apart. And let me give you three things you got to get a grip on to make this work. Number one, it's a, these are three commitments. Never consider divorce as an option. Never. Never. You can't do it. When you're standing here and, and she comes walking down and the two of you say, I do, you never are to consider Divorce an option, and I realize we're living in a culture where it, we, people just get divorced. Oh yeah, I was just getting divorced, it doesn't work. I mean, we're, TV shows, sitcoms, um, the culture just so, you know, dumbs down, degrades marriage. I, I get it. I'm just trying to tell you what the scriptures say. It's a holy thing, it's a weighty thing, it's a sacred thing. You've been glued together. Don't ever consider uh, d d divorce. Now, the second commitment that goes along with this is, is this. Never, never consider divorce an option. Okay? I want you to write never, never twice. You don't ever consider divorce an option. In, in 1519, during the Spanish conquest of Mexico, Hernan Cortez, who was the Spanish commander, uh, we're, we're told he gathered his men all on the beach and he gave a number of great speeches on the beach to his guys. There were about 600 men, and they were going to have to go, you know, fight a lot of people. And it was kind of a scary deal, and so he would give them all these great rah-rah speeches. And the last speech he gave was, guys, here's the deal. We're going to go to war, and we're either going to win or we're going to die. There's no other options. And let me tell you why. Look out into the bay. And Cortez was, had his ships were all on fire. He burned the boats. 
So here were these guys going, uh, okay. There was no option. You're not going home, guys. So sharpen up your swords because going home is not an option. And you go into a, a, a wedding, you go into that moment where you're going to super glue yourself together with some gal or some guy, just look into the harbor. The boat is burning. There's no option. It's never, never an option to divorce. And number three, commitment number three, never, never, never give up on your marriage. Don't ever give up on it. Do whatever it takes to make your marriage work. Divorce is never an option. You do whatever it takes. That's what it means to cleave. It means I'm going to do whatever I got to do because I know I can't, I, can't, I can't get it apart. I'm not supposed to get it apart. You do whatever you got to do, and, and that might mean money. You got to spend some money on counseling. I, look, uh, and... I've met guys, uh, you know, I don't have any money to go see a counselor. <laughs> no, but you had money for your ski dues, and you had money for all the other stuff. Look, I know 10-year-olds. A 10-year-old came to my house the other day with a rake and said, hey, can I rake your lawn? And I said, really? I don't have any trees out there. I don't got any. I, and I go, how much money have you made? He goes, I've been walking around. I made, you know, 50 bucks. And I'm thinking, hey, hey, hey. If a 10-year-old can go make 50 bucks raking lawns, you do it. Your marriage is worth it. Go mow lawns. Don't, I don't have any money. I can't afford it. Yeah, you can. A 10-year-old can go rake lawns. It's your marriage. You said I do. And when someone comes into my office and says, well, I just don't have any money. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what 10-year-olds do to buy a bicycle. That's just you being prideful. Let me tell you, cleaving is you say, I'm never going to consider divorce. Cleaving is, I'm never, never going to consider divorce. Cleaving is, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to make this work. And I've been at this church long enough, and so have a number of pastors, and, and uh, uh, the cliques have been here long enough, and, and others, uh, the, the Flasters have been here long enough, uh, the Harmons have been here long enough where we have seen marriages that they were, the Friolis have just been here long enough. Just, wow, that is a mess. That's a mess. But they said, we're not divorcing. Not. And they did whatever they had to do. And today they have some of the most beautiful marriages. In fact, they might be sitting right next to you. And God did something incredible because they made a commitment. They burned the boats. And that might be where you're at today. You can't control your spouse. You can only control you. 
And if you'd make those three commitments, I'll tell you, it'll make a difference. It'll make a difference in your life. This is what we're going to do right now. I'm going to ask our pastors and elders, and I'm going to ask the cliques to come on up here too. I, I, we're going to spread out around this building, all of our spiritual leaders. Come on up here, cliques. And I'm going to, uh, uh, any elders that are in the room, and we've got uh, uh, some of our elders are in the back, right back there. Some of our pastors, Rick. Um, uh, Scott is right there. You can see some of our pastors are up here. Pastor Rich Sasser is over there. Uh, that's Pastor Scott Miller is up there. Pastor Allen and Marty Boone are over there. We've got pastors, elders, spiritual leaders everywhere in here. And we've got plenty of time. And we're just going to have a time where we want to pray for you, your marriage. And it isn't, if you come forward, maybe your marriage is great. Praise the Lord. Let, let the cliques put their hands on you and pray that your marriage stays great. Maybe your marriage isn't doing very well. And just say, hey, our marriage, just pray for us. We're, we're struggling right now, and we'll pray. Um, maybe your spouse isn't here. That's okay. Come up and say, hey, my spouse is working, but would you pray for our marriage? It could be you're single. Hey, would you pray that God would bring into my life the right guy, the right gal? You know, we're going to leave here in a moment a discipline of silence, and if you want to leave, you can. We've got plenty of time. Your kids are all being watched, and everything's fine. If you'd like to just sit in your chairs and pray together as a couple, you can do that too. And, and we're turning this over to, to you, Joel, over in the venue now. But these are our people that are here just to, to pray with you. Now, don't, don't hey, I've got to find my favorite pastor, you know. No, just, it doesn't matter who it is. Just come and go and, and, and take advantage of these people. And don't run out of here. We've got plenty of time. We're just going to bring the lights down a little bit and just have a great time of letting spiritual leaders pray. And every one of these people you see standing around up here, we, we've all gone through some tough moments in our marriages. Well, we get it. Let us pray. Let us pray for you. And just, like I said, it's not a counseling moment. They're just going to maybe ask your names and pray and whatever, okay? So let's just enjoy, you know, the next, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of just being together and, and praying. You can stay in your chairs and pray or whatever. Father, thanks, Lord, for this moment. And God, I know my marriage, I'm glad a lot of people pray for me, pray for my marriage. I need it. And I enjoy praying for others in their marriages, future marriages, whatever. May this be a beautiful time, God, an unhurried time where spiritual leaders of the church pray. God, um, I believe miracles are going to happen. I believe it. I just believe it. And so, Lord, uh, bless this holy moment here, God. And I pray this in your name. Amen.